I'm Todd McKay. This is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. Today, we've got something a little bit different because we've got Tom Korski here. He's the senior reporter at the investigative journalism website, Blacklock's Reporter. You know, accountability is a big part of what we do here at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. And probably nobody knows more about accountability on Parliament Hill than Tom. In particular, we're watching Bill C-10 which the government wants to pass to regulate the internet. The government says C10 is necessary, you know, to keep an eye on Netflix and YouTube and make sure that they're following regulations and promoting Canadian content. But opponents of C10 say it's an assault on free speech. Tom's been watching this closely. He actually watches the committee appearances, reads the transcripts, goes through all of that. So we wanted to talk to him. My pleasure, Todd. Okay, so let's talk about C10. And I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little bit of a ch- a little bit of a challenge here, as charitably as possible. Explain what uh, C10 is supposed to do. Oh, they try to make it complicated, but that's intentional. It's very straightforward, Todd. Uh, successive cabinets for 25 years have said hands off the internet. They will not regulate legal internet content. This is not hate speech or Hitler websites, child pornography, or meth dealers. Legal internet content shall remain unregulated. Every cabinet for 25 years has said all the others, the offensive content I mentioned, is already illegal. You simply call police. This cabinet changed its mind. And the Heritage Minister, Steve Gibo, has said he would like to regulate internet content. First, Heritage Minister in Canadian history to regulate, in this case, uh, YouTube videos that are uploaded by everyday people. They want to regulate it as broadcasting, even though these are privately uploaded videos intended for private viewing in people's homes. It's part of an entire package, in fact, that Gibo has outlined in terms of internet regulation. And the really atrocious material is yet to be introduced. And yet, even in the case of Bill C-10, the mere concept of regulating privately uploaded videos intended for private viewing, like their TV shows, subject to CRTC hearings and control of YouTube management would have to attend CRTC hearings. Even a former chair and vice chair of the CRTC have said, this smacks of an authoritarian government, hands off the internet, It's a big deal, Todd, and they have tried to make it complicated. It's very simple, and it's very far-reaching. From the government's point of view, what would they say that it's supposed to do? What would they, what are, in in Minister Gibo's wildest dreams, what kind of utopia is he trying to build here? Well, we know what he says now. But we know what he really means because he talks too much with, with, with all due respect to Steve Gibo, He doesn't do himself any favors. He's been extremely expressive. He would tell you if he was on this podcast, look, if we can regulate YouTube like we regulate the CBC, we can get YouTube to contribute to programming funds that would contribute to more Canadian content, and we can get them to promote uh, – programming ideals that we like and we think Canadians should see. 
more indigenous programming, more multicultural programming, certainly two official languages. You know, the usual can-con argument that Canadians have heard since the 1970s. That's what he would say. But we know what he really means. And we know this because there are two other parallel actions that are going on at the same time. And they're both, frankly, chilling. One is Gibo has said, I would like to introduce a second bill. He promised this weeks ago, it's late. And he's committed to it. The second bill will regulate not YouTube videos, but written words on the internet. Regulate for what? Well, he says he would like to regulate satire or ridicule, hurtful words that target cabinet ministers. He testified in committee that the internet ought to be regulated so that people, in his words, can't chip away at the integrity of public institutions. He has a briefing note from his own department that we see that says that content that threatens quote-unquote social cohesion should be regulated. Todd, I'm aware that these are words that you would expect to hear in North Korea, but he's used those words. Second track, the CRTC very quietly has proposed mechanisms. This can be done technologically very simply to install an internet kill switch. We know this because the Canadian Internet Registry Association freaked out. They said, you can't do that. It's in breach of the Telecommunications Act. You can't moderate content. But they are looking at technologically some means not to take people to court for breach of criminal code hate speech provisions that have been existing in federal law since 1970. Social cohesion taught. We want to be able to kill websites that threaten social cohesion. I'm not making this up. There are very serious people who have no political agenda whatsoever, who understand the internet, who are advocates of free speech, who are extremely upset over where the feds are headed, but that's where they're headed. Yeah. And some of those eminent people that you're, you're mentioning are, uh, Folks, uh, he used to run the CRTC. Folks like this. It's not uh, not just tinfoil hat folks. It's, uh, it's people who have big experience with it. I'd like to come to, I want to come back to the sort of censorship aspect of it. I think that's the more important part. Let's deal with the less important part, perhaps. First, Canadian artists, some of them anyway, uh, they raise worries that they're going to run out of money. Uh, the market's going to shrink as fewer and fewer people watch TV, more and more move to Netflix and YouTube, uh, and some of those uh, CanCon funds uh, shrink. How good a solution to that problem is C10? It, 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 that's not the remedy, if that's their problem. More regulation is not the remedy. You know, Todd... This country has federal regulations on how many milliliters go into a can of peas. We count some 35,000 sets of federal regulations. It's like can Canadians have been conditioned into believing that in the absence of regulation, there is evil or chaos. It's simply not the case. The reason every cabinet for 25 years has said don't regulate the Internet is for two. Number one, they have no reason to. There's nothing to regulate. There is no threat. There is no peril. The, the, these uh, Internet users are not cheating musicians or the Society of Composers. I understand they want the money. That's not society's problem. We live in a capitalist society. 
if they have a claim on copyright, be my guest. If you want royalties, go ahead and sue. You know, there are civil remedies that exist in this mature democracy. Regulation by parliament and by cabinet in this case, these would be regulations drafted in confidence by cabinet once parliament passes the enabling bill. You have politicians who are naturally bound up in questions of self-interest political gain and re-election, regulating expression, even if they think it's for the benefit of the society of composers. It's simply wrong. Other point, we have freedom of expression in this country. What does freedom mean? Freedom of expression, freedom from what? It's freedom from government regulation. Even if there was the most benign intent, you can't do it anymore then cabinet could tell a pastor on Sunday what to say in a homily any more than you can say, we're going to have freedom of association, except for the unions we don't like. You know, you live in a society, in a free society. It's not about making everybody's dreams come true, even the society of composers. It's about the right to be left alone and the right to be left alone by government. And in addition to that, Netflix and others are pouring tremendous amounts of money into the arts community. And further to that, it's not like uh, the government has trouble giving money out for culture. <laughs> and you guys, you guys break stories every day about various heritage uh, uh, slush funds that go out. So I'm very skeptical that this is, uh, this is necessary to somehow help starving artists. I find the government is uh, firing money around that arena pretty consistently. I want to take you to the next step. A lot of people say there's a lot of bad stuff on the internet. I don't know anybody who's on Twitter who doesn't think Twitter is terrible, which is a very funny contradiction. Um, but there is a lot of bad stuff uh, on the internet. How would C10 combat that? Why is that not a good tool to fix? Uh, what is obvious in the sense that there's a lot of bad stuff out there? Well, that, that may be the case. But as I tell uh, public office holders every time they tell me I don't like black locks, we say it's a good thing you don't have to read it. You know, there is a, a, a freedom of choice means you have the freedom not to be irritated. Once again, this is not about hate speech, child pornography, meth dealers. It's not about any of the atrocious, the Hitler websites. That's already against the law. And there's a criminal standard that applies to prosecution. And those people can be prosecuted and are all the time. This isn't about Steve Gibo saying, I'm worried. He says he wants to keep people safe on the Internet. I'm worried, he says, about those bad things that people can see on the Internet. But what he's really saying is, it's not that he doesn't want to see it. He doesn't want anybody else to see it. Well, there's a lot of implications there, Todd. Number one, that we are mindless children, that everyone in Canada woke up this morning and said, I wish the Department of Canadian Heritage would tell me what to read, what to view, what videos are safe for me. I can't make those decisions. I'm simply incapable. Who did that? No one does that. There's another reason no government in English-speaking democracy has attempted these sorts of regulations is because it's overreach. The, the 
conflict of interest is so obvious in terms of cabinet determining what is safe and what is not. But let's go back to your theme, uh, Todd. Your very basic question, in the absence of regulation, isn't there mayhem? Yeah, it's called daily newspapers. Do you know what daily newspapers are subject to in terms of regulation? None. Neither are we. It's the Criminal Code on Hate Speech and the Defamation Act. That's it. That's all we're subject to. Do you sense chaos or a threat to the home? In your daily newspaper, I can think of a lot of adjectives that describe daily newspapers in my town, but those those aren't the words. Boring, uninformed. I can think I can think of numerous <laughs> synonyms and adjectives, but it's not a threat. In the absence of government regulation, I think Canadians are smart. I think they're good-hearted and they're well-meaning and they're capable of taking care of themselves without mother's little helper in the federal cabinet in Ottawa telling you what you can read and what you can watch. So when we get when we look at uh, Bill C-10, it's not just an academic debate for you. As you've noted, there's more legislation uh, coming down the pipe, according to the federal government, and it could matter a lot to Black Locks reporter and, uh, and particularly independent media uh, like you folks. Before we get into what this could mean for Black Locks, though, I want to get a little bit of background for our listeners, for those who perhaps haven't heard of you. What is Black Locks Reporter? It's, an, it's a website. It's an electronic daily. That's what we call it. It's all original content. To, to the degree possible, Todd, we cover Parliament Hill without the politics. Although, you know, we cover bills and regulations, and there's nothing more political than bills and regulations. If you want to know who's hot and who's not, we, that we don't do. We cover bills and regulations. We, we follow the money. That's really our specialty. Access to information, federal courts and tribunals. We're really money focused, which is why I think um, I'm speaking to you today because the Taxpayers Federation and your members have that same concern. So it's uh, uh, completely apolitical. We're in our uh, now we'd be uh, going into our ninth year this fall. And uh, it's all about bills and regulations. We say it's the Parliament Hill coverage without the politics, to the degree that's possible. <laughs> I, 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 oh, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit, that could be a tricky uh, uh, walk to, to walk there. But certainly it's, uh, I, I, in my reading uh, of your work, and I, I read it just about every day, uh, I would say every side has gotten hit a few times. So that's uh, usually the good, uh, a good measure of that. What are some of the stories uh, that you've broken at Blacklocks that you're most proud of? I think uh, one that is um, outstanding off the top of my head, and this uh, was actually uh, the Taxpayers Federation did some outstanding access to information work on this. The question of the home equity tax, you know, uh, often you mark success where the dog doesn't bark. Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, a federal mortgage insurer, had a fetish about a home equity tax. They didn't understand it. They didn't understand what home equity means to working people. They looked at untaxed billions in principal residences and for years have circled that theme, taxing home equity. Simple exposure 
led the CMHC chief executive to call us terrible names on Twitter. I can't imagine, Todd, some of the trash on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) It was very, very hurtful. I I should have called Steve Gibo to complain. Um, It killed the tax. The simple exposure, alerting people, then informed experts became involved. Uh, I can't tell you how happy that makes me as a Canadian. If they want to tax home equity, that's fine. You do your business in broad daylight in the town square. You're not going to do it in sneaky emails. You're not going to do it through federally funded researchers who will tell you what you want to hear. Public business, public money, everything should be public. That's our motto. I can't tell you how happy that made us. Oh, man. We had a good time fighting on that one. Honestly, as much as the government continues to deny that it's looking at a home equity tax, and it may say that with all uh, sincerity, they continue to require Canadians to report sales of their private residence. And as long as they keep tracking the money, makes me think that they might want to take a chunk of it. So we're definitely going to stay on that one. And uh, you guys absolutely blew the whistle huge on that one. And we engaged our supporters on it. And uh, uh, that was a, a huge story. When it comes to access to information requests, so that's where you file an official uh, request to the to the government and they're required to uh, uh, provide documents, or at least they're supposed to. I remember asking you how many you filed before. And I remember thinking to myself uh, that I, I felt like kind of a big deal because I filed about 100 a year in that neighborhood. How many access to information requests a year do you file? It, it, typically, it's been about a thousand a year, and any any citizen can do it. You can ask any question you like. It's five dollars. You get to know about some of the games that bureaucracies play in withholding information. But we do about a thousand a year. Although I have to say, since pandemic, uh, the, never let a crisis go to waste. Access to information has really become paralyzed, and we saw just the other day the information commissioner testifying in committee who said they're not even recording Zoom calls. Todd, the government of Canada is doing business by Zoom calls. They're not recording the calls. There are no minutes kept. There's no legal duty to do so. Even the commissioner of information said that you need to find out where the money is being spent. Access to information is really getting government to release data that they don't want to release. So there's natural tension there. But we do uh, have, uh, just barrage them. We, we, we've averaged 1,000 a year for, well, eight, eight and a half years now. And that is such important work because regardless of what information they seek to withhold, and many times you get pages back that are all blanked out, it's a bit of a frustrating process uh, many days. It scares the hell out of bureaucrats and politicians when they even see people asking about this stuff. So I have no doubt that you've saved taxpayers boatloads of money just by asking the questions, never mind what you get back. But let's get back to Bill C-10 and, uh, and some of the subsequent legislation uh, Minister Gibo is promising. What kind of, what kind of impact could that have on, on Black Locks Reporter if these, uh, these pieces of legislation are implemented? A specific application is difficult to see. But, you know, once you've established a regime of control and regulation, you invariably use it. I mean, they can't resist. No government can. That's why smart countries don't let governments have these powers. Because, you know, once it's on the table, it will be used. 
We tried to figure out the origins of this, and I think we've put it together. Todd, it's, it's, some of it is naturally speculative, but they've been very expressive. In 2019, there was a protest called United We Roll. You remember that. Mm -hmm. These were farmers, ranchers, and truck drivers opposed to Bill C-69, oil and gas regulation bill. And they came up to Ottawa. They had a peaceful protest. We saw through access to information. The prime minister's office wet its pants. They talked in staff emails that they feared these farmers and truck drivers would attempt to, quote, unquote, overthrow the prime minister's office. It was completely berserk. We know that there were some signs at the protest in February 2019 right here on Parliament Hill, and they called the prime minister a traitor. Trudeau is a traitor. The head of the federal public service, a man called the uh, clerk of the Privy Council, cited that sign in committee testimony, and he said, I fear for assassination in our country. Violent language, calling the prime minister a traitor, and said, I have been subjected to hateful remarks myself. Actually, we asked for his Facebook messages that drove him off the dial. He got about a dozen. Some used the F word. But I got to tell you, some of them were nothing, nothing that I didn't get from CMHC or are not in my email inbox every morning. Hey, you're not so hot. <laughs> I don't think you're that great. It doesn't matter. The reaction was completely disproportional. Subsequent to that, in August, for the first time in August 2019, we see in a questionnaire submitted for the election campaign that year, by the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress, and it asked parties where they stood on regulation of internet content. And there was only one party that checked the box. It was the Liberal Party of Canada. Then we know. Then the Minister of Heritage has, as I've explained to you, has enthused about the role that government regulation can play in moderating content, in promoting what he has called the government's vision, in protecting social cohesion. This is all punitive. That means someone will be punished. This is not a promotion. It's not funding for groups that you would like to subsidize. It's completely punitive. Where does that hammer fall? We can't know, Todd, but we know they want the hammer and we assume they intend to use it. And when you're the, uh, the one sticking up your head, uh asking government tough questions, I think it's uh, reasonable to wonder where that hammer could land and whether it hits somewhere close to you. You have the unusual distinction, I would say, of, of watching more committee meetings and reading more committee transcripts than just about anybody I've ever seen. What's your sense on, on where this story is going, where this legislation is, is going? I think there are so many serious, thoughtful people who are opposed to Bill C-10, who are opposed to internet regulation for really wonderful and profound reasons. It's, it's just, it's freedom of speech. It's freedom in your own home to write words, to upload content, to download videos that you enjoy. There are so many serious people who are upset by this bill that I think the nightmare scenario now for cabinet is if it passes. And there are tired, arrogant governments 
of all political stripes that have found themselves in, in this exact situation. A smart cabinet would say, you know, boys, we gave it a good try, but this wasn't our day. Drop the bill and maybe bring it up later. But they won't do that because there is some arrogance and there is an agenda here. They've articulated it, social cohesion. They will pass that bill, I'm sorry to say. And then the bill will never be enforced. It was interesting, even soft supporters of the bill have tried to extend a helping hand to the Minister of Heritage. The New Democratic Party and committee said, you know this bill will never be enforced. It will be tied up in court for 10 years. Any good that you think you will achieve will be lost. Have you not thought about meeting with free speech advocates? Just sit down with these people, very serious, well-meaning people who read into your bill the, the attempt at what one former CRTC chair and federal judge said looked like the work of an authoritarian government. Sit down with him and talk to him. Wouldn't do it. Not going to do it. My way or the highway, that's where they stand. I think they have the votes to pass this bill and they will pay for it. And then you'll never hear about it again, Todd. Mm -hmm. It's a worrisome thing to have sitting around in a corner, though. You know, you've got me thinking. When you say it's worrisome. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's beyond worrisome. Ultimately, though, all democratic governments... And every previous cabinet concluded they couldn't do this. What, Steve Gibo's the first guy in history to say, I, I don't like what they're saying about me on Facebook? He's the first politician in Ottawa to say, geez, can't, can't we get those guys to be quiet? You know, I don't, I don't like the way they're always carping at me, calling me names. Oh, they're always dragging out the picture of me outside the police car. Can't can I do something about that? All previous cabinets for 25 years, liberal, conservative, it didn't matter, said we can't do that because you can't do that. It's not because it's ethically wrong, immoral, government overreach or breaches the Constitution. It's because you can't change people's thinking. If that's what they think, that's what they think. If that's what they want to express, then they'll just find another way to express it. You can't control the internet any more than you can control feathers on the wind. This is how democracies work. Smart politicians know. Let people blow off steam. Just like smart cabinet ministers know. Let's have more access to information. It's going to be the only way I'm going to find out what's going on in my department. And then there's all the others. I, I'm not being dismissive of C10. I'm simply saying it's too much. It's too far. It asks too much. And it will never be enforced and ultimately repealed, whoever's in power. Well, there's one more group on Parliament Hill that I'm, I'm curious about in their, uh, their assessment of this. What do reporters in the press gallery think? Media has been very slow on this, Bill. Forgive me for saying. My friends in the press gallery have been very slow to get on top of the meaning of this legislation. There's some coverage that's come along since. As I mentioned, we've been covering this for goes back to 2019 because you could start to see, you know, how governments work. And you know, when they start to leave the breadcrumbs on the path, mm -hmm. they, they do that for a reason. I can't really explain, you know, there's some mechanical reasons why uh, many media outlets, in my opinion, are simply inept 
appear lazy, indifferent, easily confused. Uh, we could do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> we probably should at some point. <laughs> I could do a PowerPoint presentation. It'd blow your doors off, Todd. Uh, the, we have not seen the advocacy of free speech. This is not a partisan issue, my opinion. Any more than access to information is. Any more than wasting taxpayers' money is. Why would those be partisan issues? I don't understand. I know that there are reporters who have not read the bill, who have opined on the bill and written about the bill. You can always spot that in a, if you ever see that in a TV story, radio, or a newspaper where they say, this person said that about the bill, and, and then the other person on the other side said this. It's not tomato, tomato. Read the bill. Just read the bill. Use your head and, t and tell people what the bill says. That's all we try to do when we say we cover bills and regulations. Uh, I don't understand if you're not going to stick up for free speech and if you're not going to stick up for prudent and, and frugal use of other people's money and you're not going to stick up for access to information, I don't know why you're in the business. Maybe they're looking for jobs as communications directors. You know, Todd, let's be frank. It's crude. I'm sorry to say it. The list of press gallery members who have gone on to six-figure jobs as communication directors is a very long list. I'm not interested. Yeah, given how many ministers you've gone off uh, after, um, I'm going to go ahead and say, please don't take offense at this. Uh, you may not be on their short list. I, 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 I used to say, once I leave this, I, I'm going to go back to driving a truck for Sears. I can't even do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think it might have been uh, Franklin Roosevelt who said, uh, judge a man by his enemies. And uh, I think in that sense, uh, you're judged very well. Let me wrap up. I want to just ask just a couple of questions out of my own interest sake, to be totally honest with you. What's the worst thing about being an investigative journalist? I can't think of anything. You know, you're wired this way or you're not. It's sort of like small business or farming, isn't it, Todd? I mean, really, farming makes no economic sense whatsoever. Who would sit down with an investment banker and say, I'm looking for some new opportunities? Who would say, I know, why don't you buy 500 acres and get into farming? Hope it doesn't hail. <laughs> who would do this? Except people who are wired that way. And then it's the greatest life in the world. And then they make money. They raise their children. They have a, and they have a great life. Same with small business. Small business makes no sense. It, it's completely mindless. Who would work 70 hours? a week with the kids helping out in the kitchen and mother doing the bookkeeping. You'd have to be out of your mind unless that's who you are and that's how you see the world. You want to raise your family and then it's a great life. And I would say, that's how I feel about my job. I've been working in newsroom since I was a schoolboy. I wake up every day. I'm the luckiest man in Canada, but that's just who I am. I think there's a lot of people in our country, farmers, small business people, I can think of them. They feel just exactly that way. Oh man, I come from uh, I come from the country in Saskatchewan. I spent a lot of time working on the farm, so I can I can see all sides of the equation that you're setting out there. What's the flip side of that? You're touching on it a little bit, but what's your as an investigative journalist? What's your best day as a farmer? Your best day is when you're running the combine, and the 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 crops coming off just beautifully. The weather's nice. That's a real nice day. What's the best day as an investigative journalist? The best day is when we have a subscriber. We're subscription-based. Don't you have a subscriber?
who says this happens not infrequently, and it's always really gratifying when they say, you know what, I didn't know that, and I know it now, and I only know that because of you. And that's useful information to me because that was my money. That was a program that affected me. Or it's about my country, whatever their motivation is, and whatever the story is. But when a subscriber says, you know, because of you, I found that out and I wasn't going to find that out anywhere else. You say, well, yeah, that's just, this is fantastic. Then everyone's happy because that, that means I did my job. That, that's all our, all, all our job. That's all we do, Todd, is just to tell people something that they didn't know. That's what news was supposed to be, a depiction of reality, not who's hot and who's not, not what other people are covering. That, that's really gratifying. I, I can't tell you. That's fantastic. Well, I can tell you, I am a subscriber. I would say every day uh, I learned something I didn't know uh, the day before. And many days uh, it results on me immediately getting on the phone and calling one of our directors to jump on an issue. So thank you so much for, for the work you do. Thanks for chatting with me today. Folks, if you care about C10 and those issues and making sure folks like uh, Tom at Blacklock's Reporter uh, can continue to freely criticize government and tell uh, government to do better. We're going to have in the show notes uh, a link to some of our information on it uh, and to our petition to scrap uh, C10. So jump off the sidelines, get into the game. Uh, let's make a difference on this. And we're also going to put in the show notes uh, a link to Blacklock's Reporter. There's a lot of media I have to read every day. There's some media that I really enjoy reading. Black Box uh, is on that list and right at the top of it. So, Tom, thanks again for uh, joining me today. Oh, all my pleasure. Thank you kindly, Todd.